We begin today's Abounding Grace with these words from our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor. Don't negotiate with the devil. Be a man and a woman above reproach. Do the right thing the right way all the time in the power of the Holy Spirit. Money is not that valuable to lose your soul over. You know, a a flirtatious little thing with someone at the office is not worth losing your marriage over and never seeing your kids again. Clicking that one little banner. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from someone in my office, my desk, or sat with them here in the sanctuary to minister to them about the end part, the end product of destruction. This is amazing grace. Seems like every time you turn around, there's a new scam popping up, and perhaps you've been a victim of that in recent years. There are also people motivated by the enemy roaming around that are out to rip us off spiritually too, but this should be no surprise. As Jesus said, it would be this way. We're about to see a vivid contrast our Lord gave between the good and the false shepherds from John chapter 10. We'll also see what can protect us Here's our teacher once again, Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 10 is where we are. We left off last time in verse 6. As Jesus, remember, the backdrop of chapter 10 is chapter 9. And there was a young man that was born blind, that was healed on the Sabbath. And and I don't know about you, but I'm sure I, I can understand how you would respond. I'm sure you'd be pretty happy. If your friend that was born blind was healed, that would be a sense of happiness for you. You would be excited. You'd probably want to take him to the mountains and show him your hiking spot. You'd probably want to show him the blue sky and say, this is what I've been talking about, and rejoice with him and throw him a party and make sure all your friends met, not only the goodness and gloriousness of God, but your friend is healed. And that's a normal expectation, except for the religious rulers Well, they were ones in the chapter 9 that were really blind. They could see physically, but spiritually they didn't get it. And instead of being happy that a man born blind was healed by the hand of God, they were upset. They took it as a fight to take Jesus on. What were they mad about? Well, they were mad of their own man-made religion. And they think that Jesus broke the Sabbath. We know that he didn't break the Sabbath in any way because the Bible declares Jesus to be sinless. And so it wasn't a Sabbath-breaking Uh, on the part of Jesus, but rather man-made religion in the offense of man. And it's to that backdrop where some of those religious rulers and leaders are still there that verse 1 in chapter 10 opens up, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And notice verse 3 is so wonderful. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And just like in our day, in the day of Jesus, there were many voices wanting the attention of the people. 
Now, of course, the delivery mechanism was different. There wasn't YouTube or smartphones or the internet of all the constant voices and an email getting forwarded to you. And did you hear about this? And did you read this ebook? And did you see this video? And on and on the voices really yell to us. But the reality is, is that in Jesus' day, it was just as real. In Jesus' day, there were many voices wanting the attention of the people. And I think the loudest voice was the rampant paganism of the day, the false worship, the, the people that would worship idols and sacrifice their children and get involved in all kinds of sexual, sinful sensuality. That was a loud voice. But there was also the voice of Judaism, a, a path to the one true God, that through the old covenant of sacrifice, by faith, you could have a right relationship with God. But within that group, the leadership had become corrupted by the time Jesus came on the scene. Not unlike in generations prior, instead of caring for the flock, they were taking advantage of the flock to the point where they're not even happy when a blind man can see. It brought them no joy, only criticism. And Jesus to that says, listen, you've heard a lot of voices, but the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls his own. And remember, we learned that uh, an enclosure, you know, a sheep enclosure would be, you know, made with sticks and rocks of about six feet high, and, and it could be built in any size. Uh, usually they were larger enclosures, the sheepfold, and many shepherds would come and put all of their sheep in at once. And in the opening of the door, there were primarily two ways. One was sort of a makeshift door where the gatekeeper stayed there, but more often, the door of the sheepfold was actually a shepherd laying in front of the opening so that you wouldn't be able to go in and out if the shepherd was there. You just knew the shepherd spoke of safety and security, but also of, no, you can't go out. And we'll see that illustrated as we continue on in chapter 10 in a moment. So as all the sheep would be in there and many shepherds would come in, if the shepherd came in and called his sheep, only his sheep would follow. Like today, if you go to England and you drive through the countryside, uh, in England, the sheep all have colored bottoms like somebody shot him with a paintball in the bottom. And they got purple ones and red ones. And, and I just get in my mind, all those sheep coming in, and then when the shepherd comes, all the red bottom sheep take off. The blue ones don't take, pay any attention. They kind of look, oh, no, I don't think he called. He didn't shoot me in the bottom, you know. That's the wrong color or whatever they're thinking. And, and they, they don't follow. Even if you try to mimic them, the voice or a noise with your mouth or even a little whistle, the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. Even though other shepherds would call, sheep would only respond to their shepherd. And Jesus is coming in this time, in this moment, with all the religious corruption and man-made religion, and he encourages us, I'm calling out my own, and I'm going to lead you. I'm going to lead you. Verse 4 says, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That's so encouraging. Not only do we recognize the shepherd's voice, but he leads us. We follow him wherever he goes. And to me, it's very comforting to know that I have a shepherd that'll lead me. He doesn't push me. He doesn't prod me. He, he doesn't make me. He leads me. As we'll see in a moment in Psalm 23, David, long before Messiah ever showed up on the earth in human form, David totally understood God as a shepherd. He got it. He knew it. As a matter of fact, let's turn there with me. It's Psalm 23. I'm sure you've memorized it, but I want you to see it. 
I want you to read along with me in Psalm 23, to read along out loud, as David has such tremendous insight to this relationship with God as shepherd. I can imagine him sitting there in the evening or in the morning, quiet hours, just thinking about and contemplating his own care for the sheep, but thinking about how much God loves him even greater. And he declares it very clearly. So read out loud with me. Ready? Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd. That beautiful relationship that the sheep have with their shepherd. And it's comforting to me to know that Jesus, as he leads me, when I walk into something really bad, really difficult, he's already gone before me. He's already been there. He's already, I can follow as I'm walking into some really difficult times, even though the, through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me, close, careful. To know whatever I walk into, Jesus has already been there. It's no surprise to him. I'm reminded of the psalmist when he writes in Psalm 139, verse 5. He says, you have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid my hand, your hand, upon me. Or in Exodus chapter 23, verse 23, for my angel will go before you and bring you into this land of the Amorites and the Hittites, and God says, I will cut them off. You'll have leadership. You'll have companionship. You will have a shepherd that leads you. He, Jesus doesn't push us. Jesus doesn't drive us. He doesn't beat the sheep. He leads us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but it was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I think this is a real key to effectiveness in loving people, to being a good shepherd, to, to hearing the shepherd's voice. And we learned, didn't we, that if you want to learn the shepherd's voice, you need to be a man or a woman that knows the word of God. You don't need to be a scholar, and you don't need to be a seminary student, and you don't need to know all of the original language. You just take the Bible in the language that you understand, and you make a commitment to read it every day while you're praying every day, and the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will teach you. Just get the word in you, and you'll know when somebody comes with something that, hey, you know, that doesn't sound like the shepherd. That just that doesn't sound like what Jesus has said, or that doesn't sound like because the shepherd will never contradict his word. Now, pick up with me in verse 7, where we left off in our time last time, where Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus, with that picture of the sheepfold, is declaring to be the door. 
They're protecting, laying in this area, protecting the sheep from predators. It's as if Jesus is saying, I will protect you, and I will watch out for you, and I will guard and defend you. Not only will I lead you, not only will I care for you, not only will you get all of the benefits of the shepherd, but don't forget, I'm a shepherd that protects the sheep. And I think every pastor and leader needs to understand this, that one of your roles in the ministry is to protect the flock to be the door, not the door of salvation, but the door of protection in the flock as under shepherds of Jesus Christ. I I want you to to notice in verse 8 where he emphasizes all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. There were many then and many today saying that they're the way, the truth, and the life. They're saying that they have the path of salvation. They're saying that what they believe the scriptures to say is the only way, and they are trying to draw people after themselves. I mean, some will even come to your door. Have you had anybody come to your door lately? I had, I had a couple of gals come to my door the other day, and they rang the doorbell, and usually when the doorbells ring at that time of the day, it's UPS dropping something off, so I'll just run over in my pajamas and just get, get something from UPS and be happy we got something and come back in. Not this time. The doorbell had two people on my doorstep wanting to tell me about the kingdom of God. A couple of Jehovah Witnesses, a couple nice, very nice women. And they had in their hand a packet and their briefcase and their Bible, and they turned it over and went, I just let them keep talking, let them keep talking. And, and they said, you know, if on the back of this, there's 12 things. Which one would you like to know about? And so when they were done, I said, so you guys are, you, you guys really know the Bible, don't you? Yes, yes. And, and, and you have a lot to share with me, and you've come to my doorstep. You know, we had that kind of conversation. And, and she said, yeah, you know, we study the Bible so much that they, we know the Greek. Oh, you know the Greek. Yes, I know the Greek. And, and so I said, so, so I could sense where the Lord was taking me to read them because if you come to my doorstep I am a missionary on my doorstep and God has made me a missionary on that little concrete slab and I've answered the door and it's not a package so here I am and and so I, I had a great question for him I said did you were you born into this religion or did you convert some other time in your life and she said I've converted and I now you got to understand when you have the two um, men or women from the jo- Watchtower Society Jehovah Witnesses you got to understand the one that you're really talking to is the one that's not talking because they're just training them how to do it so the one talking is pretty convinced but the one that they're training not so convinced so just remember that that you always have an audience when you're sharing so I said did you get converted yeah I got converted and I said so you know the Greek and I said so I said so if I showed you something in your own Bible and I showed you something from the Greek you'd read it to me and and would you consider changing your mind would you consider converting back oh yes wait a minute I'll be right back So I went over to my office, which is right near my front door, up on my shelf. I've got a New World Translation Bible. They're ready to use. I've got my interlinearary uh, Greek text of the Bible, and I pull it down, open up to John 1.1. I come back there, and I said, so so let's let's read a scripture together. Are you ready? And I took their Bible, and and she goes, oh, were you a Jehovah Witness? No, I was never a Jehovah Witness. And that kind of changed things, you know, because they saw, what do you have a Bible? So I do what I normally do is I'll take a Bible, and I'll just turn it upside down, and I want them to read it. You know, because the word is powerful. So if I can get it out of their mouths, it's a good thing. So I took that, I took it, I turned it around, we read it, and then they said, oh, you know, that, there's two Greek words for there. And, they, and I said, I know there are two Greek words, and it's amazing. And it says, for those of you that know, 
in John 1.1, 1, 1, they have added a one-letter word that completely ruins what God wrote in John 1.1. 1, 1. And what they did is declare that Jesus was a God with a little g. The word a is not there. It's not there in the English translation. It's also not there in the Greek translation. Or It's very, very clear. And so I turned it around, and they kind of saw that, and I said, yeah, I know there's two different words, but the real question is, how many gods do you worship? Oh, we don't want to, we didn't come here to argue, sir. We just came to preach the gospel. And I said, no, no, you came to my doorstep. You said you wanted to talk to me. You can't leave now. <laughs> and, and they're going, no, you know, and they're walking backpedaling a little bit, walking back. And there's a little dialogue and, you know, just really sharing the truth, hoping the Lord takes root. But as they're walking back, the gal says, well, you know, sir, should we take your name off the list so nobody will ever come here again? I said, no way. Keep my name on the list. Send everybody here. As many people as you want. So, well, you know, we don't want to argue. We're not going to send people. You know, we had that discussion, and my, my neighbor was out uh, taking care of the lawn, and I, you know, I was now I'm like in protective mode because I don't want to listen. I go, look, if you go next door to Larry, I'm going to follow you there. So don't even try. And I knew our neighbors on this side weren't home, and so they walked off. And, you know, you just got to be prepared and ready because those that would want to do damage, they'll come to your front door with a false teaching. They'll come through the church. They'll, they'll uh, start a conversation with you in the video section of Walmart. Uh, they'll come to you at Starbucks. And, and it's not just one group of people. Every group that, every cult, every origin of false teaching, every aberrant teaching out there has the exact same foundation. They may have different nuances. They may have different things that they're trying to, to espouse, but they all come from the same exact location. It's very simple. They all have it wrong with who Jesus Christ is, who he declared himself to be, who he proved himself to be through his life, death, and resurrection how he communicated who he was, how he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy and prediction after prediction exactly of who he would be, when he would come, how he would come, what he would do, his life, death, and resurrection. It's all in the Bible. And listen, friend, if you have it wrong with Jesus, you'll have everything else wrong. Only Jesus will save. How do we know that? Well, he himself says, I am the door. Everyone that's come before me, and I think as well we can say everyone that's come after him have been thieves and robbers, just wanting to steal from you, wanting to take advantage of you. You know, thieves and robbers still come around today, and perhaps not to just to your front door, but to the congregation here. They'll, they'll use sheep talk to get into your lives. We might use the phrase Christianese or, you know, they'll, hey, brother, how are you? Sister, Hallelujah. Look how big my Bible is. You know, those types of things. They'll wear the, sh wear the shirts and put the stickers, but this is how you know if the shepherd sent them. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And what they say compares to what the Bible says. And the same goes true from this pulpit. It's no different. Anything that's taught here, you take it back to the Scriptures, just like good Bereans would, that they took what Paul taught them, and they went back to the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Imagine that. Taking Paul the Apostle's teaching, as much God used him, they still were careful to search the Scriptures. And when they searched the Scriptures, they found Paul to be true. And you want to follow those that reflect the voice of the shepherd. You know, those that would come in, Paul would even warn the elders in Ephesus in Exodus chapter 20. He says, after my departure, savage wolves 
will come in among you, not sparing the flock, even coming from within. And Jesus says, look, they're just thieves and robbers. They just want to steal from you and take from you. You can jot it down in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. From the New Living Translation, it says, These are the kind that work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Now, I don't believe the emphasis in this text is on the gender. I believe the emphasis is on the vulnerability. And vulnerable men and women... That, that are gullible or vulnerable. And I would even add this. There is a general sense of trust that believers have, a general sense of thinking the best in someone. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love suffers long. Love, love thinks the best in someone, thinks no evil. And there is a general sense of those that sense that and want to take advantage of that. These are the type of people that worm their way into houses and pray upon the unexpecting. And I mean pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. And you always know a wolf in sheep's clothing by what he or she leaves behind. Because wolves, you know, you know how we, we saw last time, and we'll see when we study Psalm 23 in depth not too long from now, that, that our heads get anointed with oil. Why? Because sheep butt heads all the time. It just happens. Sometimes it's harder and less. It just happens. You get a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and we're working out our own salvation in fear and trembling. But wolves, they don't butt heads with sheep. They bite their heads off. And that's how you can tell. Somebody that wants to draw you away to themselves someone that uses manipulation, guilt, uses gossip and slander, all in order to build for themselves a kingdom that will not last, because there's only one kingdom, as we'll see in a moment, only one shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. So keep your eyes out, and just, you know, you don't have to be skeptical or anything, you just have to be wise. Jesus said to go into the world, what? Gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. And that's what he's warning. Hey, they're just ripoffs. And then he gets to the place in verse 10 where he says, the thief, now he's just talking about one. Who do you suppose he's referring to here? The devil, straight up. He's using the picture of a thief, and now he's narrowing it down to the origin, the origin of being ripped off. He says, the thief does not come to accept to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Mark that. You might even want to circle the word thief and write next to it, the devil. The devil is not your friend. As real as God is, the devil is also real. And that's, this is why, this is why you'll now understand a little bit better, if you haven't already, and I pray that I could convince you that it's not smart to negotiate with the devil. Because we know what his terms are. I don't care how he presents it to you, how he dresses it up, how he deceives, his terms are very simple. If you enter into a bargain with the devil, he only wants to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. That's it. Well, Ed, what does a deal with the devil mean? Well, we often refer to that as compromise. Whether it's with the devil, you know, he's only in one place at one time, so it's not like every single one of us has ever met the devil before, but the demonic realm and the way he uses the world system uh, to inflame our flesh, and then we just fall in headlong toward temptation. Don't negotiate with the devil. Be a man and a woman above reproach. Do the right thing the right way all the time in the power of the Holy Spirit. Money is not that valuable to lose your soul over. You know, the, a, a flirtatious little thing with someone at the office is not worth losing your marriage over and never seeing your kids again. 
Clicking that one little banner. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from someone in my office, my desk, or sat with them here in the sanctuary to minister to them about the end part, the end product of destruction. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in John's Gospel. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Erwin Lutzer's excellent book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, when your decision to change is not enough. This is a must-read for anyone who struggles with getting rid of a nasty habit. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.